Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. I gotta be honest, listeners, this is an episode I never wanted to do. Professionally, I wrestled with whether an episode about pet loss would feel insulting to those of you who tune in because you're grieving the death of a human, whether it's a parent or a partner, child, sibling, friend, or anyone else. 20 years into working in this realm means I've lost track of how many kids have said, ugh, someone at school told me, I know how you feel, my gerbil died. It's the worst. Hearing those stories, it makes a mark, you know? Personally, Thinking about pet loss feels like a gut punch, the kind that totally takes your breath away. As you'll hear me say numerous nervous times to our guest, I can talk about people dying all day long, but I get straight A's in avoiding anything about pet loss. You've never seen someone scroll as fast as I do when something about the death of a pet shows up in my feed. I just can't. So that's why I am. Because I have to. My dog, Captain just turned 13, and unless they come out with an immortality treat in the next few years, it's inevitable that I'm going to be joining the club of folks grieving the death of a beloved pet. And if it wasn't already clear, I hate it. Again, that's why I'm doing this episode. Back to the professional, at Dougie Center, we focus on kids, teens, young adults, and adults who are grieving the death of a person. And we recognize that grief is grief is grief. And while it can feel hurtful to someone grieving a parent to have someone else try to relate through the death of a pet, that in no way diminishes the reality of grief that comes when a pet dies. Whether a pet has fur or hair or feathers or scales, they become part of our daily lives in ways that we don't even understand until they are gone. They can bring us immense joy and love and frustration and worry and laughter and tears, just like humans do. Now that I've shared way too much about me and caveated this episode, let me tell you about our guest. Deborah Lee is the Veterinary Wellbeing Program Director for Dub Lewis Veterinary and Specialty Hospital here in Portland, Oregon. In this role, Deborah supports individuals and families after the death of a pet. She also provides support to veterinary staff who deal with grief every day. Dub Lewis's Pet Loss Support Program started over 30 years ago, and was one of the first programs of its kind in the U.S. The Pet Loss Support Program offers peer support groups, a remembrance ceremony, memorial art workshops, and a lot more, all in the service of honoring, validating, and supporting the grief that comes when a pet dies. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me for Grief Out Loud today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Normally, I say I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, but this time I'm feeling really nervous about our conversation, and I'm glad you're here to help me today with this conversation. For sure. Yeah, I know it's um, it can be a challenging thing to to talk about, but I also think like with many things in grief that it's just important for us to say it out loud and give it the space that it deserves. And 
you know, as I meet people in the world, they say, oh, gosh, your job must be so hard. I could never do that. And I never know how to answer that. And here I am wanting to say to you, your job is so hard, I could never do it. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about, like, how did you come to this work and supporting folks when a pet dies? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I actually started my social work career in human medicine. And my first exposure to veterinary medicine was actually through seeking different care for my own companion animal, my dog. And I was just struck by how many parallel kind of processes there are between the two fields. You know, I will name too that actually my title here at Dev Lewis is Veterinary Wellbeing Program Director. And so pet loss is a part of what I do. Uh, the other part of my role is to attend to veterinary well-being. And so I was actually more nervous about the pet loss part of my job as well. And I think some of the touchstones that really helped me be able to be in that space is to really remember some of the basics that, you know, grief is really a normal and natural response to any loss and that grief is grief. And the reality is that our companion animals truly are, for many of us, our family members. And when you think about it in that way, you know, I think it offers that sense of validity and it kind of helps in understanding why this is such a profound loss. Uh, I mentioned before that I worked in human medicine. So I had the um, great fortune and honor of being able to intern at a newborn intensive care unit. And in a lot of ways, the dynamics of care in that setting are really similar and they helped inform my experience here. You know, you have a caregiver, you have a nonverbal patient, and you have a care team. Um, And that creates you know, some complex dynamics. And in that setting as well, there is a lot of grief and a lot of loss, but there's also a lot of joy and love too. Um, You know, I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I'm always struck by in any of the groups that I hold in any conversation that I have with anybody is just how special their unique companions are and just how much love there is in that relationship. It's very sad too, but I'm always struck by how much love there is. So I know you mentioned that you support veterinary staff, and then you also support families who are going through the death of a pet. And could you talk a little bit more about the specific services that you provide in your work? Yeah, so at Dove Lewis, we have a pet loss support program. It's a really longstanding program. It's actually, I believe, over 30 years old at this point. And the primary offering that we have through the pet loss support program are pet loss support groups. They presently run an hour and a half long. We have two that are in-person, two that are virtual every month. And those are groups that are open to the community. And so people don't necessarily have to have been a client of our hospital to attend one of those groups. Ultimately, you know, we're here as a service to the community in acknowledgement of that profound bond that people have with their companions and an acknowledgement that that bond with your, our loved ones continues even after death. So that's one of the primary ways that we connect with people in the community. Uh, We also offer a monthly memorial art workshop. Uh, So in Pet Loss Support Group, it's a lot about giving expression to your your grief through speaking. Uh, Memorial art workshop tends to be more about creating an item that helps you memorialize your loved one. And there can just be something really healing, I think, in finding some creation as a form of expression. And so we will usually have a different activity every month. 
one of the things about the program historically is that we didn't used to have virtual offerings and then like many other groups during the pandemic, we had to make that pivot. And so with the Memorial Art Workshop quarterly, we actually partner with a local nonprofit called Right Around Portland. They have an amazing mission uh, related to, you know, finding expression through creative writing. And so we partnered together to uh, create a curriculum where people can use creative writing as a tool to find expression. And so that's our virtual offering that's every quarter. In addition to that, we also have an annual service of remembrance. It's not as much annual anymore because we're offering it two times a year, once in person. And we just recently had our service actually um, at a church downtown. And it's an opportunity for people to get together to remember their loved ones and be in a space to kind of go through one of those rituals of mourning that I think people don't necessarily have an opportunity to do when we're talking about pet loss. And it's to be there in community with each other to really take that space to honor and reflect and remember their loved one. And we also offer that one virtually. Internally, you know, the reality is that a lot of people in veterinary medicine work in veterinary medicine because they love animals and they have animals. And so whenever a staff member says goodbye to a beloved companion, one of the things that I'll offer them is if they're interested in having a memorial table that we put up in the hospital. And it's an opportunity for that staff member to write a little bit about their connection with their companion and to display a few photos. And there's a notebook there for people to be able to offer their words of condolences as well. You know, I mentioned in the beginning, like grief is not the Olympics. It's not supposed to be a competition. And then the reality is we live in a in a society and in a world that does create hierarchies around grief, even within the grief of having had a person in your life die. And so I know people hear things like, you know, it was just a cat, you'll get another one. It's not like it's your child who died. And then I imagine those messages get internalized. And like, how do you sit in this work in a world where that reality is it's real? I think that's one of, you know, that's such a great question. Um, it is almost inevitable that in most of the groups that I run, that's one of the things that is explicitly expressed, how sometimes even well-intentioned loved ones in our lives can say some inadvertently very hurtful things. Exactly like you said, it was just a cat, it was just a dog. You could get another one, right? And I think for me, one of the most important pieces in that is to really name and acknowledge it. I think in general, we don't really talk about death, loss, and grief very much as a society. And so these nuances, these different factors um, don't get named. And so I think it's important to name that like societally, there is a hierarchy. And so to recognize that and in that to hold that regardless of what that hierarchy says, what the world around you says, that in this group, when we are together, we acknowledge that your loss is valid, your relationship was deep and meaningful and enduring. And so of course, because of that, you're experiencing grief. I think the thing that again is important to hold really and truly, and I think it's something that was really shown even more throughout the pandemic as well, is that for many of us, our animal companions are truly family members. And there is no comparison. I think that's true even in cases of, of human loss as well, right? Like the relationship that we have with any individual person is incredibly unique and therefore our grief is also a reflection of that. And I think that's also the case for our animal companions. 
I think it's just important to say out loud what we're looking at here. And in group, I'll even offer the phrase like the reason this group was created is because for many of us, like we have to acknowledge that pet loss is a disenfranchised grief. It's not seen as something that, you know, is as valid as other losses that one might experience. And there are certainly human losses that fall into that category as well. Um, but I think there's a lot of power in naming out loud that that's just the reality of where we are. And that doesn't mean that we have to allow the reality of, of the world around us to necessarily define our own experience. Yeah, Oma says in naming that people are most likely to run into situations where their grief is minimized, there can be community around that and sort of a buffering against knowing the reality is my grief will likely be minimized in some way, but it's not going to happen here in this uh, setting with these people who get what I'm going through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really powerful that happens in group is that the moment that you offer that, the moment that somebody even shares that they've had those invalidating statements said to them, you see a lot of head nodding and a lot of like, oh yeah, we know exactly what that is. I have a co-facilitator who phrased it in this way and I don't no, I think it's a hard phrase, but but it's the one that's coming up for me right now is like, you know, grief is really like the club that you don't want to be a part of when you're in it. Like nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to have had um, the losses that propel us into that space. But there is something really connecting to in knowing that you're not alone in that. And I think in the pet loss space in particular, it can feel exceptionally validating because finding that validation in other spaces can be very rare. You know, Deborah, one topic that's been coming up so much in the groups that I run for folks who have had a, you know, a family member or a close friend die is how complicated the relationship with the person who died was which leads to a lot of complexity in their grief, whether it's ruptures that they didn't get a chance to repair or a relationship that was just moving into a new phase and they didn't get a chance to kind of see that through. Old hurts, just so many different things because people are complicated. And I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, I wonder what it's like for folks when it's their pet. Because I have this like assumption in my head that the relationship with pets is a lot less complicated <laughs> But I don't know if that's actually true. So I wanted to see, you know, kind of what comes up for you and your work around that idea. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I will name that sometimes when we talk about pet loss, I think for a lot of us that draws up a particular image of what that loss might have looked like or what that relationship might have looked like. And so there are times when there is certainly complexity that's introduced um, into that relationship. And the cases that I'm thinking of are often ones where, you know, we may have companion animals that have behavioral challenges and that can certainly complicate a relationship. I think the other dynamic that makes, you know, life with our companion animals unique in a lot of ways is just the potential for medical complications or complexity diagnoses, different things that come up. You know, when I have, connected with people who, for example, are in a caregiver role, like in a literal managing chronic illness kind of role, I think that can certainly add complexity to their grief as well. But I think for me, a lot of times the image that comes up is, is exactly what you said, that for a lot of us, we have these companion animals in our lives who, for the most part, 
go through like typical animal kind of hijinks. We got to get them their vaccines. Maybe they ate something funny every once in a while. And then the point of saying goodbye comes at old age, which isn't to say that that's, again, all of the circumstances. So I think the, the root of your question, I think for a lot of us, a part of the reason why grief for our companion animals can feel so intense. And that's something that I've heard a lot of people reflect that they've had other losses in their lives. But when they said goodbye to their companion animal, they were really taken aback by the intensity of the grief that they feel and or they felt. And I think in a lot of ways you hit um you hit the nail on the head that in a lot of ways, our relationships with our companion animals may not be as complicated or complex. One of the things that we say a lot is that our companion animals are really the definition of unconditional love. They really love us at our best. They love us at our worst. We make mistakes all the time and they just don't care. They're one of the best living examples that we have moving through the world, that regardless of the things that we do, um, that we are lovable and that we're worthy. And because of that, we form these really unique relationship dynamics with them, where I think a lot of people would say, you know, my companion animal is my best friend. And we also hold that caregiver role. So they're also kind of like our babies in a lot of ways. And that puts us in this very unique position in their lives where we are really getting so much from that relationship and their support, but we're also there to take care of them. It leads me to that idea of being a caregiver and that one of the things that's really unique about companion animals and is that oftentimes as the person, as the human, you are charged with the task of deciding when to end that being's life. And that is not something we are often encountering with other humans. And I imagine that brings up a lot of unique aspects of grief and wondered if we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Absolutely. I will say, you know, and I'm not sure what it's like um, in the groups that you facilitate with humans. Well, I facilitate groups with humans too. We're just talking about (laughs) pet loss. In the pet loss support groups, it is exceptionally rare that I don't have a meeting where the themes of guilt and regret are pretty predominantly in the room. And I think that that is very much a reflection of that unique relationship that we have with our companions, where throughout their lives, we really are in a caregiving role for them. And sometimes, you know, if our companions have like a chronic or terminal diagnosis, the intensity of that may shift. But regardless, the time that our companions are with us, we are 100% charged with their well being. And I think one of the things that's so difficult is that of course our companions aren't verbal. They can't tell us what their wishes are. And we of course want to give them the world. And the reality is that all of us have real world limitations. And those limitations definitely include, you know, our finances. Veterinary care can be exceptionally expensive. Um, It certainly includes our time. You know, when it comes to that question of euthanasia as well, uh, I think the big question that everybody holds in their mind is when is the right time? And for me, I hope that that is an ongoing conversation that people can have with a veterinary professional that speaks to kind of the unique medical conditions that may be going on for a companion. 
But I also think in a lot of ways, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate us having this conversation and kind of putting these ideas of grief being a normal experience and, you know, death being the inevitable end of all living things. Because I do think in a lot of ways that when we think about the reality that death will happen, it also affords us an opportunity to think about how we want to live and how we want our companions' lives to be. You're sparking another question around that, which is maybe more of a practical one of, you know, you're sitting in group with people, guilt and regret are coming up over and over again. Are there particular ways that you support people in that guilt and that regret? I'm thinking of listeners out there who are tuning in and wondering if there's anything, even those who are have a lot of guilt and regret around relationships with humans who have died that they could borrow from the pet loss support world of, you know, like, what are things you say to folks or respond to them as they're carrying that, that guilt and that regret? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things to name for people is in recognizing that we all have a hindsight bias. When we think about that guilt and regret, when it comes to pet loss, a lot of the conversation that I often hear is with respect to like a medical condition that we didn't see coming or something like that. You know, I think after we've said goodbye, it's so normal and hard for our brains to continue to offer us those thoughts of like, what if I would have changed the diet two years ago? What if I had seen that weird little flinch and like took them to the vet immediately? Um, What if I had done that? Or, you know, I think one of the things that sometimes even strikes me in group is, you know, thinking back on those days when it's like, I come home from work and I'm just so tired and I know my dog wants to play and I'm just like, oh, buddy, like not today. I'm so sorry. I just need to take a beat. And the tough thing is that in grief, that just kind of hits you like a tidal wave. And so I just want to name like, again, that hindsight is 2020. Um, Our brain would have us convinced that we should have seen, could have seen, any of those things. And, you know, one of the things that I really reflect on, and it's a saying that we actually have in uh, our remembrance journal, uh, which is something I forgot to mention, but we have a remembrance journal that we offer folks at Dove. But one of the things that I think is really important to hold is an acknowledgement that grief and regret are parts of the grief experience. They are baked in and just because you're feeling them doesn't necessarily mean that that you did something wrong or you should have done something better. Just know that they're coming up because your brain is trying to understand the unfathomable, which is how is this loved one not here and how could I keep them here? But there's a saying in that journal that says something to the effect of, you know, grief and law, uh, grief and or guilt and regret are normal parts of the grief experience. In my heart, I know that I would never have done anything to intentionally have caused you harm. And I know I have to forgive myself as you would have forgiven me. Um, So going back to that piece about our companion animals being the best example of unconditional love, they forgive us all the time for our humanness. I actually think that's one of the most beautiful lessons that they impart on us during their time here. I think it's so important when that hindsight bias is rearing up to try to hold for yourself that every decision that you made for your loved one was one out of love, that you were doing the best that you could in that moment that you were making decisions with the information that you had and with the resources that you had at that time. 
I 100% believe for anybody who's joining us in group that if they could somehow have told the future or if they could go back in time and change things, there's not a single one of us that wouldn't totally stack the deck to ensure that our companions have the longest, healthiest life possible. And unfortunately, we're just human. Um, and so I think it's important to just name that that's a normal thing that happens. It's a painful thing that happens in grief. And if you can hold for yourself, even if it's that saying, everything I did was out of love. I did the best that I could in that moment with what I knew and the resources that I had on hand. And as you're talking about all these decisions that you know people are faced with in terms of assessing their resources and the best quality of life for their pets, there's the people who are supporting them and trying to make those decisions, which is the veterinary staff. And I mean, I always think like, I need to send them extra money <laughs> for like how much counseling and therapy they do for me on the phone and trying to help me make decisions. And I'm mean, just in awe of, of what they carry and wondering, you know, what are some of the ways that veterinary staff are needing support in the grief as well? I think you're right. I don't know that we necessarily give as much credit to these professionals as they are due for all of the things that they support our loved ones through. You know, Dove Lewis specifically is an emergency and specialty hospital, so our experience um, is probably a little bit different than a general practitioner. But one of the things that I do know and recognize in general practice is I can't think of another medical profession where you are seeing your patients from essentially infancy through the end of their life. And one of the things that I know too about veterinary professionals is that they get into this work because they love animals. They love seeing, you know, your puppy come in, your kitten come in. It is sad for them too when it's those moments to say goodbye. I know for our staff here in particular, uh, because they're doing um, intense treatment, intense intervention, that when we have patients who are here, our teams are really rooting for them. You know, they get behind them. They want them to be able to make it through this disease process. And sometimes that doesn't get to happen. In the midst of all of that, our veterinary professionals are also people who have animals of their own. And one of the things that we often say in group is that new grief awakens old. One of the things that I think too that folks carry is that sometimes um, you're here supporting a patient and a family, and it's also kind of potentially bringing up your own grief experiences that you've had. Um, I will say, you know, the number of euthanasias that we see at Dove Lewis, I think is probably a little bit higher than in other settings, in part because of the level of medicine that we practice here, um, because we see incredibly sick patients. I also know that for the veterinary professionals as well, you know, we really do hold that euthanasia, it means, you know, a good death is really and truly the most precious gift, the most precious final gift that anybody could give their companion animal. We give them peace we alleviate their pain, we let them go in dignity, and we free them from suffering. And it is also fair to say that on both the parts of the family and the veterinary staff, that that's a heavy, it's a heavy price for sure. Thinking about veterinary practices, and I just think it was thinking about the parts of grief when it's a companion animal that has died that catch you totally off guard. And one of those ones that I've heard from people is going back to the vet if they get a new 
animal. So their companion animal dies. However much time goes by, they make a relationship with a new pet and then they go back to the same vet and they walk in the door and it's like flood of memories of all the times they were there with their other pet. And just wondering if there's other examples of kind of unique, unexpected grief moments that can be connected to the death of a pet. That's such a great question because I think that's one of the things about pet loss that really does impact the intensity. So one of the things that I often reflect on is that we really become like woven with our companions. Our lives become interwoven. And I think in a really unique way and in a way that we don't necessarily see all the time, the way that I phrase it a lot is like our animals train us very well to adapt our lives around them and their needs. And it's in unforeseen ways sometimes. And it's not until you've said goodbye and their physical presence is no longer there that you truly start to recognize like, this is why my routine is the way it is. And it's such a heartbreaking thing to realize in that moment, like, wait a second, I don't have to run home at 1130. I would give anything (laughs) to have to run home at 1130 to let you out, but I don't have to anymore. And there's that wave. And it's even things like running around town and running errands. And there's a corner bakery that's like pet bakery. That's like five minute extra drive. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go get them a treat. And like the first time that you don't have to do something like that again, I think that that can certainly be tough. One of the things that I talk about in group a lot is this idea of firsts. So of course, there's no timeline for grief. It will ebb and flow and it will unfold as it will. But one of the things that I do mention is I do think there are times when we can potentially anticipate that grief may hit us harder than others. And the idea of the first is exactly what I was describing. Um, Those first times when we recognize that we don't have to do something in a particular way because of our companion animal not being physically present or the holidays or any other number of memorable occasions into which you know our companion animals have really molded themselves into our lives their gotcha days their birthdays our birthdays halloween the first time you don't have to dress up a companion again fourth of july the first time you don't have to go like do the like lock down the house, muffle all the windows, hide in the bathtub protocol. Like those things are hard. Um, It's not to say that the second time or even the hundredth time that you have that, that realization again, isn't going to be hard. It's just that I want to acknowledge that the first is probably going to be exceptionally hard. And in some ways, if we think about it in that way, again, not saying that this is the timeline, But I do anticipate that the first year of firsts in particular may be very challenging. You know, Deborah, I know, you know, you work at Dove Lewis, which is emergency medical veterinary service located here in Portland, Oregon. I'm wondering for listeners who are tuning in from all over, uh, are there like national resources that are available for people? Yeah. So our virtual groups are actually not bound by community. So that's, that's one offering. That being said, that's two meetings a month. And uh, one of the things that having made the transition to virtual taught me is that there is a lot more need out there than there are services necessarily. There are a lot of groups that have made that transition virtually 
there are also different like groups in localities as well. Um, I can't think of the web page off of the top of my head, but I can certainly send it to you where it's a database of all of the state uh, support options that are available. That's not to say every state has one, um, but if there's something on there, people have been able to kind of submit what they offer there. There's also the Association of Pet Loss and Bereavement, I believe it's called, and their national, they have a chat group that's available. Lap of Love is also an in-home euthanasia, and I believe they do palliative care service that's available um, all across the country. And they have some um, free as well as paid options for support. And listeners, I will get all these links from Deborah, and I'll put them in the show notes in case uh, you want to do a little exploration on your own around that. You know, Deborah, as we come kind of towards the end of our conversation, I'm curious to like, what else do we need to know or say about folks who are grieving the death of a companion animal? I think the biggest thing for me is really and truly in acknowledging for people that your companion animal is a beloved and precious family member. And of course, of course, of course, you will grieve them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think one of the other pieces that I think is important for people to hold, and I think this is true of grief in general, all the more so for people experiencing pet loss. But like we said before, we're a pretty grief, death, loss, avoidant society, and we can't separate our having moved through that society with our own experience. And one of the things that I observe a lot is that people over a certain period of time, whether that be a month or even like a few months later, will say sometimes, you know, I thought I would be better by now. I thought that this would be different. And one of the things that I think is important to name in that is in recognizing like we have also absorbed those messages about what grief needs to look like, how it should look like, how you get over it and move on. And that's not how it works. And I just don't want people to feel like they need to be somewhere that they're not. These relationships matter. And I think the reality is that for as long as we love, there will always be a part of grief with us. And we will love our companions forever. So there will always be a little bit of grief with us forever. That doesn't mean that it's the same grief as, you know, the first few months where it feels like you're basically like barely able to tread water. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be that same like intensity, but there will always be a part of it there. I kind of think of it as like, you know, it's, it's like a rock in your pocket. And if you reach down, you'll know it's there. Other times it's like a pebble in your shoe and it'll let you know it's there, whether or not you <laughs> you want to, to acknowledge it in that moment. But I think there's just so much about allowing people to, to recognize that their relationships mattered, that these loved ones really matter, and that your grief is totally valid for them. And I think in addition to all of that, I'll also name too that like, it's great to, to say those things and I truly hold and believe them. And I also acknowledge that there's real world pressure that doesn't necessarily give us the space that we 
want or the space that we deserve to really take the time to be able to reflect and mourn in the way that we want to, too. Well, I know I said we were getting to the end of the conversation, but this brought up a whole other thought with what you were just saying of, you know, not only are we a product of the environment we live in, which we get these messages that grief shouldn't should be over pretty soon, or this relationship isn't as important as that relationship. So you shouldn't be grieving as much, all those things. And then I think one, one piece that feels very unique around pet loss is that while we can be very disappointed with this, our support system or lack of support system, when some, when a family member who's human dies, there are some sort of like expectations or at least uh, common practices that happen. Like maybe you get some support right at the beginning, even if that support goes away way sooner than you need it to still be there for. Um, or people say things that don't feel very helpful, but there is at least some acknowledgement usually. But I think about when your companion animal dies, there's not the same like meal trains of people bringing food over or offering to go grocery shopping for you or gathering for a memorial service. And, and so I just really wanted to make sure we included that in this episode too, that it, it is a different expectation in terms of what our support systems are going to be doing. I feel like pet loss ends up in this very private realm. Absolutely. I think I appreciate you really naming that and giving voice to that. I think that that is a part of what really makes it a disenfranchised grief experience is that you don't get to have the same sort of community that rallies around you in those hard times. You really don't necessarily get the same response. I will say there are uh, times which are very lovely when I do hear folks say like, my best friend, she like, she gets it because she's, you know, she's on the same wavelength as me with that. But to your point, we just don't get to have the same sorts of rituals or rallying of support, the things that kind of help us reintegrate the, the reality in kind of like a structured or formal way. It does become very much like you're on your own or you can seek out resources. And that's if you're even aware that resources exist is the other piece. Um, I've certainly had a lot of people who just find us by Googling because it's hard. Grief is inherently isolating. That's, I think, true even in the context of like having lost the same loved one. So like, for example, I know that when we say goodbye to to my dog, my relationship with him is different than my partner's relationship with him, even though we're all one family unit. And our grief will look different because we're different people who've had different relationships that makes grief inherently isolating in a way. And then you get kind of that additional sort of community layer where it it's kind of reinforced that it's even more isolating uh, because we don't talk about it. We don't see the resources unless we look for them. They're not necessarily made to be known that they're like a thing. <laughs> Well, that makes me extra, extra grateful, Deborah, for your time today, for, for the work that you're doing to create these resources and these structures and these support for people locally, and then also not just locally through your virtual pet loss support groups. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with me because I was very nervous about it. And I'm just very grateful for the work that you're doing and your time today and your willingness to share your insights and your wisdom uh, with our listeners. 
Yeah, thank you so much for for having me and, and giving me the opportunity to to have a little bit of space to talk about this. It's it's just so important and it matters to so many people. And listeners, as I mentioned, I'll put all those links in the show notes. So if you are looking for pet loss support for yourself or for someone in your life, you'll be able to find those in our show notes. And I say it each and every time, thank you for being part of our Grief Out Loud listening community. The podcast wouldn't mean, I don't know, anything if you weren't out there tuning in. So I'm grateful for each one of you for listening and for sharing episodes with people that you think might be helped by the show. And I'm really uh, enjoying hearing from you. So if you are a listener and you want to reach out to me, this episode actually came out of the inspiration of a listener who reached out and said, hey, would you do an episode about pet loss? So love to hear from other folks with ideas for topics or just what the show means to you. And I'm also excited to share with you that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.